You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. I'm Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy to be joined for our Thursday show by Nick Lee and Rob Rang. We've got a ton on tap for today's show, including a closer look at Seattle's preliminary injury reports out of Renton. We actually got a pretty big uh, breaking news story to go with that. A look at the series history between the Seahawks and Eagles and a game of love them or leave them, looking at which players need to step up during the final six weeks of the regular season. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's week 12. At this stage, there's always a bunch of injuries. You expect the injury list to be long, but coming off a of bye week, it is a little startling how many players have been listed as out or limited participants for the Seahawks this week. And then news drops less than an hour ago. The most notable injury to talk about here, Ed Dixon activated to the 53-man roster yesterday. They released Jamar Taylor in order to create roster space for him. Less than 24 hours later, There are reports out there, and I have confirmed this with multiple sources, that Ed Dixon is going to be returning to injured reserve after literally 24 hours being on the 53-man roster. It's an extremely bizarre situation. Rob, I don't know what the Seahawks are going to do moving forward here because I don't know that Luke Wilson is going to be able to play this weekend either. They've got Jacob Hollister and George Fant at tight end right now. Yeah, and, and so that is a you know it's disturbing. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the Seahawks were hoping that Ed Dixon would be okay. Um, at the same time, I you know just kind of reading through the tea leaves uh, and Pete Carroll's press conferences, just kind of listening to the inflection of his voice for the last couple of weeks. So every time he's talked about Ed Dixon, there's been a little bit of a pause, and I think that that's just been a little bit of concern. This is a veteran player who's coming off a significant injury, um, and and so I think that this is is more a reflection of the fact that. Uh, that Seattle feels like they do have some some pieces in place to be able to handle this. George Fan is playing so well in that uh, you know in that kind of run blocking, even pass blocking tight end position. So while this is alarming, uh, certainly you you wish that Ed Dixon was going to be able to play for the CX. I think this is uh, th- this is something that the, the team can handle uh, moving forward, just because of the breakout play we've seen so far from Hollister, as well as the reliable play they've seen from Fan. For me, you just got to feel for Ed Dixon at this point. You got to feel for the guy. He's played 11 of the Seahawks games out of a possible 27, counting the the playoff game in Dallas. And basically, he's missed the equivalent of an entire NFL season with his time in Seattle. And and honestly, we might have seen the last of him as a Seahawk if this is something truly serious that is just lingering. Um, it, you know, he played, last played a meaningful game for the Seahawks in that wild card game against Dallas, and that might be the last time we see him in a Seahawks uniform. I, I hope not. I'm not rooting for that. But it's just reality because he's got 3.4, I think, against the cap next year and certainly a cap casualty uh, a candidate for next year if, if this just continues to linger. But, of course, he contrib- he's a two-way tight end. He contributed in the run game. He contributed um, catching. And it seems like Brian Schottenheimer really likes utilizing tight ends. I mean, we've seen the emergence, like you said, Rob, of, of Jacob Hollister. Um, and it, it seems like that's a pretty vital part of this offense, who, no matter who it is, if it's Hollister, Disley, uh, and and in, in the past, but um, he was a really good run pass tight end uh, when he was healthy. Good both our two way guy, but you really got a feel for him. And this is just an unfortunate situation. And, and you kind of leaves you scratching your head how this all came about in just less than twenty four hours. 
I love that Rob mentioned the tone of Pete Carroll's voice because I've actually been looking back at this entire process. I remember when Will Disley went down in week six and they were asking Carroll about Dixon and obviously he was not eligible until week eight to come off of injured reserve, but Carroll didn't sound very optimistic about his chances then. It seemed like, well, he's not ready to come back yet. Well, you only get two weeks till he's eligible to return, so it was a little bit troubling at that point and then the fact that they didn't activate him the last two weeks this is what a couple sources that I spoke with emphasize you know they didn't activate him the last two weeks when they could have maybe that should have been a little bit of an alarm a sign there that rehab recovery from this knee injury is not going how the Seahawks want it to go the issue that they had to deal with here if they wouldn't have activated him yesterday at all, he's not going to be able to play the entire season. So if this was still something that a week or two from now we think he's going to be ready to go, they didn't have the flexibility to keep him off the 53-man roster. So they, if they were going to bring him back, they had to activate him yesterday. And unfortunately, I don't think anybody saw this happening that 24 hours later they were going to be pushing to put him back on injured reserve. But that's where we appear to be trending right now. And that means the Seahawks are left with just Hollister and Fant. They do have Tyrone Swoops on their practice squad, so they could promote him. He has played in two games for the Seahawks the last two years. He had a 23-yard reception against the Raiders last season in London. So when he's gotten a chance, he has made something happen. And I would expect that that would probably be the guy that gets called up if indeed this ends up happening tomorrow and Dixon goes back to injured reserve. As far as other injuries are concerned, I thought the Jadevian Clowney injury might be the biggest thing we were talking about today, and then the Dixon news dropped. But Clowney reportedly was not on the field for the start of practice when reporters were allowed field access today. He's listed out with hip and knee issues. Not necessarily a good thing, Rob. No, that's the that's the injury I'm, I'm much more concerned about from the Seahawks perspective. I mean, is uh, I think that Nick made a great point. Uh, you, you feel for Ed Dixon. But because of the fact that he hasn't been on the field for the Seahawks at this point, then it's kind of one of those things where you, you can't miss what you haven't had. Jadavion Clowney is coming off the splashiest game of his Seattle Seahawks career. Um, you know, and, and so if, if the Seahawks don't have him, especially considering the fact that the Eagles have some real concerns, the tackle position with injuries of their own, then, yeah, I think that that would be a significant loss um, if Jadavion Clowney is not able to play. Um, that said... Uh, unless there is something new that we haven't seen, I still wonder if maybe this is a little bit of that rope-a-dope kind of strategy that we've seen the Seahawks play in the past um, and that maybe they're just trying to keep your veterans healthy because everybody knows that this is a critical game uh, for the Seahawks going against a, a team that is very desperate right now in the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, it's equally, if not more so, important to the Eagles. So they're really looking for an edge and if Jadavion Clowney does not play, that'll definitely give the edge to the Eagles, I think, because really we, we've seen what the Seahawks can and cannot be if, if they don't if, or if they don't have a pass rush. And then when they do, we saw they can beat the only undefeated team in the NFL left. And we also see that they are really struggling and will get picked apart if they don't have a pass rush. And so um, he I think he's the linchpin of that for easily. And uh, Jaron Reed's another one. Um, was limited. Goes from limited on Wednesday to out today with an ankle and groin issue. Certainly not the direction you'd like to see. Especially, um, I, he's a guy that I really have wanting to step up. He had his best game in 2019 so far in that Monday night game against the Niners, a sack and a half. And and of course, most of the D line had their best game. Um, you'd hate for him to be slowed by an injury um, when he looks like he's finally finding his groove after that suspension. 
I like it that you mentioned that's not the direction you want to go. <laughs> Normally, it's like, well, we want a player if he's out Wednesday. Hopefully, he's limited Thursday, and then maybe he's a full participant on Friday. You don't want to go in reverse, but that's the way that Jaron Reed is trending right now. Again, like Rob mentioned, maybe this is just a strategy. Our veteran's a little banged up. Let's just hold him out today, and maybe that is is what's going on here. But if they've got those two guys, if one of them's out or both of them's out, that's a huge deal for the Seahawks. The good news Tyler Lockett has been a limited participant the last two days, encouraging about his status coming back from that lower leg contusion, looking really, really good for his chances to play on Sunday against the Eagles. Quandre Diggs, Lano Hill, Josh Gordon, and Russell Wilson, all those guys are listed on the injury report, but they were all full participants today. So the Clowney and Reed injuries certainly ones to watch. You have to see how the Seahawks handle the Dixon situation. If they call up swoops, do they decide another player? I mean, could they bring Jamar Taylor back potentially? I don't know. He did clear waivers, but they're going to have to fill that roster spot if Dixon is going to be that quickly put back on injured reserve. But away from those few guys, looks like they're going to be pretty healthy going into this football game. A long injury list, but a lot of those guys should be good to go against the Eagles on Sunday. When we return from the break, Nick, Rob, and I are going to look back at the Seahawks and Eagles series history, including the past several times these two teams have met. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter what you bet or how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Welcome back to Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Nick Lee and Rob Rang. Later in the show, we're going to play a game of love them or leave them, looking at which players need to pick up their performance for the final six games. But first, it's time to revisit the series history between the Seahawks and Eagles. These two franchises have actually faced off 16 times. Seattle holds a slight edge, nine wins to seven losses. Seattle has also won the last four games. They've won all four games against the Eagles since Pete Carroll became coach back in 2010. Only one of those games in Philadelphia, though. So Seattle's had home field advantage for the most part. Pete Carroll's team seems to be at its best playing the Eagles, winning all four of those matchups. Nick, I know these games mean a lot to you since your father is a diehard Eagles fan. So you remember all these games extremely well. The last time these teams played 2017, the Seahawks were actually the underdog, and then they came out on top in this football game. Yeah, it turned into a typical Seahawks uh, primetime game. Um, so it's it's uh, really, it's not always sunny in Philadelphia, first of all, because it's not <laughs> sunny when they play the Seahawks. Um, <laughs> and my dad has, has told me such. And, and yeah, I wept with my dad for joy when they hoisted the Lombardi Trophy after the 2017 season. But now we're back to business. Now it's Seahawks and the Eagles. And uh, Seahawks are first for me. Um, yeah, and so the, in this game, the, the Eagles were coming in 10-1 and, and absolutely rolling. And, of course, they eventually won the Super Bowl that year. 
Um, and the Seahawks actually jumped out to a 10-0 lead in the first quarter after Jimmy Jimmy Graham touchdown catch. And at one point, it was 17-3 Seattle. And really, the game was never in doubt. They won 24-10. This was the last game that uh, Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz was fully healthy um, before Nick Foles, uh, his miraculous run to, the, to being Super Bowl MVP that year. The, the next game was the Rams game that Carson Wentz tore his ACL. So, and also, as far as last things, this was kind of the last hurrah for the Seahawks. They lost three of the final four games and, and just getting throttled by those said Rams. And really, the, this was kind of a turning point for both teams. The Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl, and the Seahawks missed the playoffs. Yeah, and that's one of the things, you know, Nick, when when you talk about the, the Seahawks and the Eagles, and I think about all these statistics and things, and, you know, it, it just it, it kind of gets thrown in the wash for me. I mean, I, I kind of forget about all the different statistics. What I remember is kind of, you know, going down the field of that game back at CenturyLink and, and just watching the Eagles and just seeing, wow, this is truly one of the elite teams in all the NFL. And, of course, they wound up winning the Super Bowl that year. But just seeing the, the size of the offensive and defensive lines the Philadelphia Eagles had, um, Fletcher Cox in particular, I mean, he's listed at 6'4", 310. Oof. But my goodness, I mean, 6'4", 310, I've seen a lot of players who are listed at 6'4", 310 that don't look nearly as big as Fletcher Cox. And and what a terrific player that he was then, and he continues to be for the Eagles. Um, And and so that, to me, uh, that as well as how many Philadelphia fans there were that walked into CenturyLink that night. Um, you know, and, and the fact that the Seattle, as as you mentioned, Nick, that Seattle plays so incredibly well in primetime games, and so many of these Eagle, these contests against the Eagles have been primetime games, um, and this one notably is not, of course, being flexed out. Um, but that it, it's been interesting to see how well the Seattle has performed against the Eagles team, because typically. I think the Seahawks do very well because they are one of the more physical teams in the NFL. But Philadelphia will match that physicality. Of course, this game is on the road in Philadelphia where you're going to be able to kind of see that that that, that notorious Eagles crowd get very excited for this game. Uh, you know, To me, that, that's one of the things that, that makes this matchup as well as the previous matchups between the Eagles and the Seahawks so fascinating is because, you know, truly – and cliche as, as you can get, birds of a feather flock together. I mean, these are teams that are built the same way and play the same kind of physical brand of football. I look back at the game they played in 2016. Obviously, that 2017 game was exciting, but the 2016 matchup was also a really fun one, and that was Carson Wentz' rookie season. First time the Seahawks got to face him, and I I remember this game for a couple reasons. I remember C.J. Procise had one of the best games he's had as a Seahawk. Four carries, 76 yards, a really long touchdown run, a couple catches. And I also remember he got hurt in this game, which seems to be pretty much any time that C.J. Procise is on the no. field for more than a few snaps. But uh, it was one of those rare moments where the Seahawks got to see what he was capable of doing and had that long touchdown run. Carson Wentz got picked off a couple times by the Legion of Boom, Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman getting interceptions against him. And, of course, Doug Baldwin throws a touchdown pass to Russell Wilson. That's got to be the signature play of that football game, watching Wilson dive for the pylon after catching the football. And Doug Baldwin gets his first and only touchdown pass of his NFL career. And maybe his first is only NFL fine. <laughs> I don't know how many times he was fine, but uh, he, he ended up, there was a little jostling and, and uh, going on in the, towards the Seahawks sidelines in good nature as he well, had to throw the touchdown instead of catch it. 
Um, so that, that that's uh, that was a fun play. I do that's that is one thing. Like Rob was saying about how it's sometimes things stick out visually. Certainly that game, uh, that touchdown pass from Baldwin to, to Wilson was was uh, visually uh, memorable. The Seahawks won that game twenty six to fifteen, and really, so both of these games, fifteen and sixteen, very much in control. For my, in fact, mo- the past few meetings in twenty fourteen as well, the Seahawks were mostly in control. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, and that's why I, I'm kind of excited to see how how this game comes, uh, you know, kind of unfolds. Because I think that from a, a strictly a talent perspective, that, that Seattle is the better team. Obviously, they have the the MVP candidate at quarterback in, in Russell Wilson, and you, you kind of look at all those things from that nature. And and to me, we, we've had so many of these conversations, guys, about you know previous matchups with your opponent. And, and this is a team, other than the fact that their MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles, is obviously now playing with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the, the Eagles are a really similar team in this year than they've been in past years. There's not been quite as much turnover. Um, and, and so that, that to me, is one of the fascinating things about this game is that considering these are obviously not divisional opponents, they're still very familiar with each other. So I think there's a lot more to be gleaned from uh, the, the previous matchups than than most of the games that we've talked about in the past about non-divisional opponents. I want to look back at that 2014 game real quick because that's the last time the Seahawks were in Philadelphia. And this was really, to me, I know we've mentioned this, you know, the Seahawks, it was the beginning of the end for them when they beat the Eagles in 2017, really crashed down the stretch. But this was the beginning of the end for the Eagles under Chip Kelly in 2014 because the Seahawks, when they were playing Philadelphia, they were playing with Mark Sanchez at quarterback, and yet that offense was on fire up to that game. And then Seattle's defense comes in and holds them to 139 total yards, three sacks, two turnovers, and the Seahawks end up winning that game 24-14 in Philadelphia. A late touchdown from Wilson to Baldwin. Those two had so much success against the Philadelphia Eagles together. That ended up stretching the lead to 10, and they end up walking out of the game with a win. Russell Wilson obviously outplayed Mark Sanchez, but Really, the Eagles fell apart after that point, and then Chip Kelly ends up getting fired. We know about what happened in his one season in San Francisco, and now he's in UCLA trying to survive as a coach there, struggling with the UCLA Bruins back in college. So that was really a game that was an eye-opener for Chip Kelly's offense as Pete Carroll's defense came in there and just shut them down. And then, of course, there's the 2011 game, the dream team that the Eagles had thrown together, and uh, it ended up not being so dreamy for them coming to Seattle end up losing that game 31-14. to Vince Young gets four picks. Kind of the end for Vince Young, too. Man, I feel like we're talking about a lot of things ending on this segment. <laughs> yeah, the, the Seahawks have been the beginning of the end for a few things in the Eagles, and I guess vice versa. But, yeah, Vince Young was a pick machine in that game, four interceptions. And Traveris, speaking of uh, quarterbacks, Traveris Jackson actually threw less incompletions than Vince Young had interceptions in that game. <laughs> and Seattle at one point led 24 to 7. And yeah, Marshawn Lynch went off in this game, 148 yards and two scores. And then the last time the Seahawks lost to the Eagles was in 2008. And I know, Corbin, you know, you remember this very well. And the Seahawks were just mired in this middle of this 4 and 12 year. And Donovan McNabb just picked them apart. 
349 yards passing, two touchdowns. And I vividly remember that game because Seneca Wallace was under center at that point. Matt Hasselbeck was hurt most of the season. And Wallace got sacked four times, completely sucked the life out of that stadium. And this is how long ago this was. This was Questfield still. It was not CenturyLink Field at that point. So that's how long it's been since the Seahawks have 11 lost 11 years ago. Eagles. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while since they've lost to them. So they haven't lost to them since Pete Carroll's been there. Certainly that was a much different Eagles team back in 2008 a much much different team for Seattle that's been a lifetime ago Uh, but the Seahawks have won all the recent battles but I'm still anticipating as we'll be breaking down these next couple of days that this is going to be a really tight matchup in Philadelphia between two physical football teams really looking forward to watching what unfolds at Lincoln Financial Field. Coming up after the break, we're going to switch gears, and in the third quarter, we're going to play a game. Love them or leave them. You guys are going to enjoy it. Some debate's going to be going on here between the three of us. Don't go away. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, alongside Nick Lee or Rob. I put Nick Lee or Rob Rang, so apparently I'm with either or today. Gentlemen, it's time to play a game. This one's new for our show. We've got six games left to play if the Seahawks are going to win the NFC West and they're going to potentially get a first or second seed in the NFC. They're going to need some players to step up down the stretch. So we're going to play a little love them or leave them. And how this is going to work, the three of us came up with players that either are new additions or they've been on the roster, but they haven't necessarily uh, reached expectations up to this point. And we've got a couple of young guys on here that are also getting first chances to play as well. And basically how this is going to go, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to throw out the player's name. I'm going to say love them or leave them. You're going to tell me why that player is going to step up these last six games. Or you're going to say, I'm going to leave them because this player is not going to be a big part of those final six games. So I think we have to start with the most polarizing figure on the Seahawks roster right now. At least if you're a Seahawks fan, I've noticed this on YouTube and social media. This is always the name that gets thrown out there. Rob, we're going to start with Rashad Penny, only a little over 100 rushing yards this year, just 36 carries on the season. It's been a really disappointing second year for him, but they need some kind of balance in that backfield as far as carries go. Chris Carson is going to wear down if they can't get somebody else back there. Well, that's why I'm going to say I'm going to break the rules right off the bat, and I'm going to say I don't love him. I'm not going to leave him. I like him. I liked Rashad Penny when he came out of San Diego State. I, I thought that he was a first-round pick. I, obviously, he was drafted as such. I know several different teams that would have taken him either in the late portion of the first round early portion of the second round. At the same time, Chris Carson is the better player, as we've talked about many times before. You are going to run him into the ground because he is the offensive identity along with the MVP caliber quarterback in in Russell Wilson. Uh, So I like Rashad Penny, but at the same time, he's also clearly – the, the second most talented back on your team. Uh, and so I think that if he, if an opportunity is provided to him, then sure. I think that he can be a guy to help you carry the mail. But if the opportunity is not provided because Chris Carson continues to play other than his fumbles, if he continues to play at a pro bowl caliber level, then you continue to free to feed Chris Carson because that is one of the reasons why the Seahawks are one of the hottest teams in all of the NFL is their ability to run the ball right down teams' throats. Uh, I'm going to leave him. I, it hurts me because I, being a San Diego guy, I want San Diego State guys to thrive. But Carson's the man. 
Chris Carson, like you said, Rob, it's, there's, there's a clear number one and number two here, Chris Carson being number one. Penny has less than 600 run, rushing yards in his career over a year and a half, and only one game this year has he had at least 10 touches, and he is trending right now to have less rushing yards than last year. Uh, very troubling, especially with how injury-marred last year was. Uh, for your first-round running back to not even eclipse 600 yards in almost two years, and also trending to have a much worse second season than his rookie season. I, I'm leaving him. I'm I'm starting to sour on this situation. I, I I'm getting a little impatient, but not 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 because the running game is. I, I'm just so impressed with Chris Carson that I think they should have moved on from Chris or from Rashad Penny. I think they should have taken advantage of maybe the trade market. Um, and yeah, I mean this trade value might go down from here. So I'm I'm gonna leave him. You know what? I'm going to go against both of you here, and maybe it's just the eternal optimist in me, but, I mean, you can't have Chris Carson out there 90% plus snaps offensively like he was against the 49ers every game the rest of the I mean, you can't even come close to that. He is going to get worn down. They need him to be fresh for the playoffs, and Rashad Penny has 36 carries this entire season. He's got to pick up a bigger load than that, and the, the coaching staff has to show faith in him by actually giving him those opportunities. He didn't help himself with the fumble against the 49ers, didn't play the rest of the game, got him in the doghouse. It's a lot different than if Chris Carson puts the ball on the ground, which he's done a bunch this year. Carson has proven what he's capable of doing. Penny, we've only seen really small glimpses, but I'm still going to say love him because you got to have a second running back step up down the stretch here, and I anticipate Seattle's going to give him those opportunities. He's certainly got the fresh legs. He missed some games earlier this year. There's no excuse on his part, but the coaching staff also can't forget that he's over there. I know Chris Carson is the better player but again if you want him to be effective in January you better take the foot and put it on the brake a little bit with him and let him be on the sideline just a little bit so that he's not getting completely fatigued and worn out for that time of year so I think they've got to get Penny those touches and if he completely falls on his face then it's time to look at Travis Homer or ProSize. They've got to find somebody that can come in and get some snaps away from Chris Carson just to protect Carson from himself. Otherwise, that battering ram's going to get worn down. Second player here, we're going to go with somebody that's only been a Seahawk for a few weeks, so a much different situation than Rashad Penny, and that's receiver Josh Gordon. Rob, are you loving him or leaving him? I'm going to leave him. I think that, that Josh Gordon is, is a good player. I think that, as I said when the Seahawks signed him, that I still think that he is a little bit more of a decoy rather than a, 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 the real, uh, you know, in, in, incredible receiving threat that uh, you know the, the rest of the NFL has perceived him to be. There's no ta- There's no doubt that he's a talented player, obviously. But at the same time, I feel like you already have a Pro Bowl wide receiver in, in Tyler Lockett. You, you have, in my opinion, the best rookie wide receiver in all the NFL in DK Metcalf. You see Malik Turner that is getting, you know, he's taking advantage of his opportunities and playing very, very well. Um, you know, so to me, Josh Gordon is a good player. Again, I, I would say that rather than love him or leave him, I like him. I think that he has a function in this offense, but there are some out there who are just rushing to think that Josh Gordon is going to emerge as a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver for the Seahawks just because of his physical gifts. He obviously made some critical plays against the 49ers, and I think that he will continue to make critical plays. But in in terms of him being a superstar, uh, I, I think you already have a superstar, and his name is Tyler Lockett. I'm gonna love him, Rob. Uh, I, I loved seeing what he. I loved what I saw on, on Monday nights when he made, he made two critical uh, catches. I think both of them were on third down for a first down, 
Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think one was in the fourth quarter, one was in overtime. I could be wrong there, but very late in the game. And as far as needing to step up, yes, I agree that the Seahawks have other needs besides receiver. But with you know the, the tight end position kind of in flux, I know he's not a tight end, but a weapon for Russell Wilson to use. I think the decline of, of or the injury to Will Disley and and uh, even Tyler Lockett being nicked up. We, we know he's getting he's on the men's here and probably will play on Sunday. But Josh Gordon. Um, I think has incredible potential here. I'm, I'm not expecting him to be a 1,600-yard, 10-touchdown guy or whatever it was in 2013. I'm not expecting that. But I'm loving him. I'm loving what he can bring to this offense. And just in the – I mean, he was in the – probably had just days, not even a week, to learn um, what what to do on the Seahawks offense. And then he caught two critical passes, so they clearly are, are building trust there. And over the bye week, I'm sure he was studying up and and, and uh, getting better. I know they weren't all together all by all bye week long, but I'm I'm loving him. I think that he's got incredible potential. Not as a Pro Bowl, not going to overshadow Tyler Lockett, but a really good compliment. I'm loving him, I, and I think the big thing for me, I'm going to back off, uh, piggyback off what Nick said with Will Disley being out the tight end situation. Josh Gordon can run routes out of the slot. He's a really tough receiver in the middle of the field with his size and he wins contested catches. He's not worried about people decking him over the middle, and I think Russell Wilson's going to love having that. I also envision him helping them in the red zone some, and again, I'm not looking for him to become their number one or two receiver here. I'm loving him as a third option, because to me, they lost that when Will Disley was lost for the season. And that doesn't mean Malik Turner can't come in and make some plays. David Moore can't come in and make some plays. But I think Josh Gordon is a better player than those two guys. And I think what they need replacing Disley as far as receivers go, I think Josh Gordon has uh, the most similar traits as far, as far as being a good receiver in the middle of the field that can make those tough contested catches. So I anticipate with him getting more of the playbook down, getting more reps with Russell Wilson. He's going to be able to help them in that capacity. Now let's swing to defense. Aside from Rashad Penny, this is probably the other most criticized player up to this point on the Seahawks roster. And that would be Ziggy Anza. Only one sack the entire season, 10 tackles, three quarterback hits. Really, they need him to step up. But the question is, Rob, is he going to be able to do it? Do you love him or leave him? Well, you know, I, I think based on what we've seen so far, you have to leave him. I mean, obviously, it's not lived up to the expectations when he signed with the Seahawks. At the same time, this particular game against the Philadelphia Eagles, um, you know, the Eagles, as we talked about a little bit before, they're having their own injury problems right now. The, the Pro Bowl caliber right tackle, uh, in, you know, Lane Johnson on the right tackle position, if he's unable to play, then that's going to be Andre Dillard. Their first-round pick, who was a left tackle at Washington State, not a guy who was a particularly physical player. I went to his pro his pro day. This is not a guy who is real physical. And Ziggy Ansah, while he lacks the burst upfield that you want from a pass rusher, he is still a very physical player. Long arm, strong arm kind of a guy. And so I think this may be the game, that especially if he's going against Dillard, that he could have a little bit of a splashy performance. Now, when I say splashy performance, I'm not saying he's going to come in and get you three or four sacks. That, that's not who Ziggy Ansah is at this point. But I think he can help shut down Philadelphia's running game. And if he does that, that is a big win for the Seahawks because the, the Eagles do not have a great deal of talent right now, at least not healthy talent, at the wide receiver position. And so that, to me, is a critical matchup to keep in mind. So I'm going to say I like him. Um, and I am a little concerned about his sack numbers, but at the same time, I'm a big fan of what Ziggy Ansah can can still bring to the table for the Seahawks. 
Well, you know what my answer is going to be. Uh, I gotta love my BYU guy, and it hurts. It hurts that he's not done well. Um, but I, for the points that Rob made, I think that the the Eagles offensive line can be had, and I think this is a game, especially with some uh, uh, the bye week. Maybe he got some time to get right and uh, between the ears and, and physically as well, and maybe put on a couple pounds. <laughs> um, and I think this is a game that he can a get right game that that people talk about. And mostly they talk about that with a, a struggling team that's playing a far inferior team. But I think that Ziggy Ansa can have that get right game here. And I think moving forward, you gotta have Ziggy Ansa part of your pass rush. I think the Seahawks only make a deep run in January if their pass rush is more looks more like they did on Monday night. And I think Ziggy Ansa needs to play a big role in that. I'm going to put leave him, and it's not that I don't think Anza cannot contribute. I'm just leaving expectations that were there at the start of the season. I think there were a lot of people, including us, I think all three of us thought that Anza had a chance if he was healthy to come in and be able to rack up quite a few sacks for this team. And just quite frankly, at this point, I don't have faith that he's going to be able to do that. That doesn't mean he can't be a contributor because at this point he hasn't even been that for the most part. I could see him being a guy that can rotate in and can give him some quality rushes, help against the run game a little bit. But as far as being that game-changing pass rusher, I think at this point I just have to say no. It's not going to happen this season. I, I wonder if he needs another offseason to be able to get that muscle mass back on. And who knows if that's going to help him. He's 30 years old. Um, he could be one of those guys after turning 30, having some injuries, that his career just kind of falls apart a little bit. And I hope not because he's a fun player to watch. But I just don't see the same burst from him that I've seen in previous years coming off the edge. I'm not seeing the same physicality from him either. Doesn't mean he can't contribute some down the stretch, but I think as far as being that guy across from Clowney that's going to be a real difference maker, I'm just not seeing that happen. And that leads to our next guy that we threw down on our list, Shaquem Griffin. I'm actually going to answer this one before you guys do because I'm absolutely loving Shaquem Griffin. Uh, There were a lot of things on film with him playing against the 49ers, 14 snaps that... Uh, kind of jumped out to me like, man, it's going to be a struggle for him trying to rush against NFL tackles. But at the same time, if you watch the film and he's able to set up his pass rush moves better, mix in some different counters instead of just relying on the spin, he's so darn fast. It just brings a different element to their pass rush than any of their other ends, defensive tackles, you name it. None of those guys have the burst off the edge that Shaquem Griffin has. And you get the feeling listening to what Pete Carroll and Ken Norton Jr. have said this week this is going to be something they're emphasizing from here on out. They're going to find ways to get him on the field, and they're going to continue to experiment. What are some ways that we can unleash that speed with him to help our pass rush? So I'm absolutely loving. I'm buying Shaquem Griffin. Oh, I am as well. And that's one of the reasons I mentioned before Ziggy Ansah and his strength, his power, his long arms. What a perfect compliment that is to Shaquem Griffin's speed, his intensity, um, just his passion for the game. Uh, and I think, again, if Seattle is, in fact, going against Andre Dillard at the right tackle position, a position that I don't think that he is particularly well suited to playing, then I think that you use that combination of Ansa's power and Griffin's speed and that is going to confuse the rookie and that is going to give them some struggles and so I think that this is another game that Seattle's pass rush actually kind of shows that it is better than it is shown over the first half of the season um, You know, and, and that's one of the reasons why I continue to be very optimistic that Seattle's defense is going to get better as the season goes on rather than kind of falling flat as some are projecting I love them too, we're all going to agree here uh, and for the same reasons that Rob said, and also with with the compliment with Ansa, I think they it's possible to love both. 
And it, with a pass rush, I think it's got to be all hands on deck against this offensive line. It's got to be like all the portals opening up at an Avengers Endgame and everyone coming out out, out of nowhere, and everyone's got to be <laughs> chipping in the pass rush. It has to happen. And I think Shaquem Griffin's going to be a big part of that. And based on what we've read and what we've heard um, with articles and, and what, what coaches are saying this week, yeah, I would expect a, a heavy dose of Shaquem, maybe not a heavy dose, but at least a, a medium dose of Shaquem Griffin moving forward. And I think he's going to finally show himself, and I think he's going to succeed. Let's go back to the secondary for our last guy here. Ugo Amadi is now going to have an opportunity to play that nickel corner spot. He obviously started the season opener, then they brought back Jamar Taylor. Taylor was the one that lost his roster spot to activate Ed Dixon, who now looks like he's going to be heading back to injured reserve. So the whole situation is just bizarre. But this has been something that has been brewing for a while. A lot of speculation out there. When is Amadi going to get the chance to play? Because Jamar Taylor has struggled the last several weeks. Had a really rough game against the 49ers. Did make an interesting pass deflection that that was key late in the game. But he was picked on by Garoppolo early and often. Rob, are you loving or leaving Ugo Amadi there? Considering they do have a number of different options they could use at the nickel spot. Well, I, I got to stick with my grade that I, I gave Ugo Amadi back when he was a member of the University of Oregon rather than a member of the Seattle Seahawks. And I love this kid. I think that if he was a couple of inches taller, then, then he would have been drafted much earlier. Um, he's an instinctive player. He has that quick twitch. He has, he's a playmaker. Now, he will take risks. And, and that is absolutely a concern, in my opinion, against the Philadelphia Eagles team that I still am a big believer in Carson Wentz. But the fact that this is a team that is really struggling with health, the wide receiver position, to me, this is the perfect game to get Ugo Amadi out there and see what he can do. Um, the, the fact that, that not only because the fact, uh, not only because of the of, of San Francisco or. Jeez. Not only because of, the, of, of Philadelphia's struggles at the injuries at the wide receiver position, but because you are feeling as confident as you are right now with how the Seattle safeties have played in their last game against the 49ers, that even if a nickelback struggles with making a tackle, as Jamar Taylor did, then the safeties were in position to lay out those wide receivers, create some physical hits. I think Ugo Amadi can make some big plays for the Seahawks, and that's why I love him in this opportunity. But at the same time, I also think that among the reasons why you have to love him is because, again, Seattle's safeties are playing at the level that they are that you potentially can protect the rookie a little bit. One of the reasons why I'm not quite as high on, again, Andre Dillard for the Eagles at potentially at the right tackle position. I, too, need to stick to my guns here. When we started the year and we evaluated the draft class and after rookie minicamp, I was tooting the Ugo Amadi horn. I, I said he's my guy. He's going to take over the starting uh, slot corner spot eventually. You can go back and listen if you don't believe me, people. I said it probably, I don't know, July or June, and here we are. Here we are, week or game no- number 11, and here he is going to be the starting slot corner. And I think that he's his versatility is certainly notable, and he's, he's just beginning to discover his abilities here in the NFL, and I think that they're going to really like what they see when he get when they get a full tape of Ugo Amadi on the field, I mean he won't be playing every defensive snap, obviously, but I think he's going to get a good chunk, and I think they're really going to like what they see because I've everything I've watched from from his tape at Oregon to minicamp to preseason to what he's been able to do on special teams. You know, Pete Carroll likes those guys. I like him too. In fact, no, I love him. I don't know if I can love him, and I don't know if I can leave him. This feels like an on-and-off relationship to me. Uh, Here's why why I'm saying this. I feel like the Seahawks are going to do a lot of mixing and matching 
these last six games, especially going into this game. I actually talked about this a little bit on yesterday's crossover show with Gino from Locked On Eagles, that in this matchup against a team that's best two receivers are tight ends, I could actually see the Seahawks trying to mix Marquise Blair in as a big nickel and have him out there with Diggs and McDougal, and maybe even Leno Hill if he's healthy enough to play this week. He's had success against tight ends in the past too. So I could see Amadi getting some reps, and, and I think this is a good team for him to play against because the Eagles right now are struggling at receiver. They don't have an elite slot guy that's going to have blazing speed that's going to give him fits and coverage. I think this is a good game for him to get quite a few reps out there, but I think they're going to be mixing and matching. They're going to have different types of nickel pack Packages that they're going to be doing the rest of the year. So I'm excited to see what the kid can do. I just don't know that they're necessarily going to be like, you are our nickel guy exclusively. I think they're going to do some mixing. Akeem King could get some reps because he's done well against tight ends as well. There's a lot of different things that they can do. Like Pete Carroll said, numerous wrinkles. So I don't know if I can necessarily say I'm loving him these last six games because it could be a week-to-week thing, especially since they're still playing so much base defense as well. Haven't played a ton of nickel to begin with, but certainly a guy that has some potential potential out there and I think this move did need to be made at this point based on how poorly Taylor had played the last couple games make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL you can follow Rob at Rob Rang Nick at Nick Lee 51 if you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked on Seahawks podcast you can contact me LockedSeahawks at gmail.com Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you listen to. Go to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up tomorrow, our normal Friday episode. We're going to be looking at five key matchups to watch in this upcoming Seahawks-Eagles matchup. And we're going to be devising a game plan for Seahawks victory. You won't want to miss it. Go Hawks!